Hello and welcome to episode 20 of hey, Point Plus. We're here. We are no longer we're teenagers. We're here. <laughs> We've made it. We're out of the teen years and now we're into the 20s. So Someday we'll have a midlife crisis. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll have to find out how we celebrate a podcast midlife crisis. <laughs> That's right. Whatever that is. However many episodes that is. Yeah, we'll do it sometime in the 40s. Oh, good. I'll think of something. Plan the party. <laughs> uh, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. This is our follow-up podcast to our Sunday gatherings. So we gather Sunday mornings. Uh, we hear a message. We fellowship. And then we have this podcast, which just allows us to keep doing that. Keep fellowshipping. Yep. Keep the conversation going. Um, you guys submit questions. We work our way through them. I wouldn't say you give we, questions. We give answers. I don't know if we always give answers. That's true. <laughs> They're not reliable. Because sometimes we have the same questions. <laughs> Uh, but it's just a cool way to keep the conversation going. So thank you for submitting questions. We got a ton of questions this week. Yeah. So we're excited to go through that. Um, I, I have a question. Yeah. Why is it that I get so many questions and Jake and Chris get so few? <laughs> e- either they're much better <laughs> preachers than I am or something. I don't know. I don't know. You could go either way with that. That's right. <laughs> we'll take Thanks it for your questions. I, lo- I love the questions. Yes. We'll take it the positive way. We're always happy to answer and work through more questions. So I'm one of your hosts, Mark Adkins. To my left, Rick Rubel. Rick, yesterday we talked about finances. Yeah. Everyone's favorite topic on a Sunday morning. We love talking about money. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I, I said... Uh, um, a year ago, maybe I can't even remember that I really have kind of gone through this evolution over the last uh, six, seven, eight years now. Yeah. Um, where initially I was really, really scared to preach about yep. about money stuff, and I'm at a place now that um, after doing that um, consistently for the last seven, eight years, yep. Um, I'm I'm really comfortable with it because I think it is such a key part of what God does in our life yeah. and that, and it's such a, um, it's such an easy thing for us to say, Oh yes, I love God. God can have every part of my life, mm, but don't talk about with finances. Right. Exactly. Um, and so I think it, I really do think that it's a very important, um, issue for us individually yeah. and it's important for us in our faith. So, um, it was really fun to just look at the book of Proverbs and to read all the way through the Proverbs and, and just start, um, say, oh, that one talks about it. That one talks about it. And then to try and bring that together in a way that made some sense for us. Yeah. No, that's great. So give me give me a, an overview. What were some of the, uh, for those that may need a refresher, what yeah. were some of the high-level points on uh, what we talked about? What's the wisdom that we got from Proverbs when it comes to finances? Um, the, the, the biggest thing, the, um, the, the biggest point really is that your worth is not determined by your wealth. Yeah. And, and that is... Um, I think it speaks to us so directly in our culture, and I don't know if it. I don't. I. I'm not a woman, so I can't think in, a, in the way the woman thinks. But I think for most men, yeah. there is clearly this sense that in order to be a success, I've got to have money in the bank. I've got to be able to do what I want. I've got to have the resources to be able to accomplish what I want. And and if I don't, I'm just not worth as much yep. and that couldn't be more wrong your your worth is not determined by your wealth yeah. and um and so that first scripture I, I shared from proverbs where where it says you know it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor god made us all yeah and and that there is going to be a judgment um that that will be responsible for to to god for how we deal with our our finances yeah yeah no, so that's the, that's the big thing we talked about debt we talked about um 
that dead enslaves, we talked about an approach that um, I, I don't know that I've heard a lot of sermons about it, but but the whole concept that's, that's there about trying to take shortcuts, trying yeah. to do a quick fix, um, and that that, that isn't... Uh, uh, Solomon basically says, it's not going to end the way that you think it is. Yep. Uh, the importance of generosity yep. um, and, and um, not being a stingy giver, but, but just being generous, ha- yeah. having that be a part of us. Great. Love it. Yeah, so uh, we got a ton of questions about it, which is Good. great. Um, before we get to those questions that are related to finances, we, we got a question in the middle of the week, which we love getting. I love love it. Love, it, love questions it, love pop it. up in my email yeah. because it means you guys, like we said, we've been talking about it for weeks. We're challenging everyone to yeah. read a proverb a day. This yeah. means that you guys are digging into it. That's awesome. So yep. submit questions in the middle of the week. Submit questions in the middle of the night. That's it's right. It's awesome. That's right. <laughs> it's a blast. Um, so this question actually goes back to our last podcast. And we can't take it then. I know. Right. So <laughs> you can submit questions. We're just not going to do anything with That's it. That's right. Um, but in the last podcast, we talked about, there was a question about how um, the different translations took the Hebrew word and rendered it a little differently. Yep. I think one used discernment and one used a different word. A different word than a discernment. A different word yeah. than discernment. Yeah. Um, and so this question comes in light of that. So on the back yeah. of that question from that podcast, um, this person asked, uh, the last uh, podcast brought up a question regarding difference in translations. The Bible has been translated so many times. How can we know the original intention of the author has been achieved? For example, in English, many of the same words are used in different contexts, but the same word can mean radically different things. So basically, what this question is getting at is how, you know, we are thousands of years removed from when Proverbs right. was written, from when much of the Bible was written, we're thousands of years removed. Um, how do we know that the Bible that we have today on our phones, in our hands, wherever it might yeah. be, is actually what Solomon wrote and what David wrote in Psalms and what John wrote in his gospel? How can we trust that? Great, great question, and and I, I'm gonna I want to answer that, but I want to answer kind of a parallel question yeah. as well. Um, the the parallel question is um, how do how do we know that we're getting the uh, intent of the original author? That which is I, I think maybe that's that may be part of what, of what they're asking. Yeah, and, um, and I would say. We, we do it the exact same way that we do with any historical document. You look at what the internal context is. is. So you look at when, uh, when you're translating, you look at how what the, the particular piece that you're looking at, how that fits with the greater body of work that, is, that was written by that particular author. Yep. So um, uh, if you're looking in um, Egyptian cuneiform, you're, you're translating within the context of what's there in cuneiform. Yep. In that particular document, you're also looking at it with how that's, those same words, that same language stuff is used in other documents that are available from uh, that time period as well. Yep. So there's internal consistency and external consistency that you're looking for. And, and that's, how, that's how we know, that's how we establish intent. Right. So if you say, okay, this particular word is used in this context, in this part of, in this book of the Bible, oh, that makes sense. And you say, oh, parallel to that, at the same time in the first century Greek, that word is used in this context. That may give a little bit different flavor, right. um, but it's going to help you uh, understand contextually how you understand that. Yep. Period. End of sentence. That answers that 
secondary part of the question. The, the other part of the question is, how do we ha- is it possible to know that what we have in our hands is reliable? Mm-hmm. And, and the, the really short answer is to say, if that's, it's textual criticism and, mm-hmm. the, and the, um, the look at historical documents and, and right. say, how much time is there from the time that the original document was written? Right. To the, to the first copy that we have, because we don't have original copies of Homer's Iliad or right. the Odyssey. We only have copies of that. Right. Um, how much time exists between it, when it was originally written and the first copy that we have? And uh, without, without diving deep into this, the amount of time for biblical, particularly for the New Testament, from right. the time it was written and right. from the original, is an incredibly short period of time. Um, some less than a hundred years, some less than sixty years, right. um, and and all within a couple of hundred years. Yeah, um, and that is by far the least right. amount of any historical documents yeah. that exist. I think it's worth just to drive that point home. I think the average for non-biblical historical documents is many hundreds of years. Yeah, six to eight hundred years. And yeah. that's that's normal. Right. So it's very normal for us to not have an original and then wait six to eight hundred years. And that's yeah. the earliest copy that we have. And those are trusted historical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and we, we just assume that that's, yeah, this is legit. Right. Um, so uh, that, and then you come alongside and you say, okay, Dead Sea Scrolls found in 1947. Yep. Um, the the um, copies that are there that were taken out of the out of the caves um, were uh, what we have were identical to to that that was almost two thousand years yeah. previous. Yeah. Um, so cool. The the difference between you know the word uh and the that kind of thing, right. Right. Um, and and a really really tiny percentage of that. So right. um, what we ha- what we have we can count on w- is um, is what God. Um, intended what was written um, by the original authors. Yeah, and I think um, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, one of the things that you're uh, getting old. I know what's happening. <laughs> Turn thirty and everything just goes down. uh, downhill at thirty. <laughs> yes, I. Um, one of the things that was brought up was um, that the that the Bible has been translated so many times. Yeah, and this is a criticism that gets thrown around, especially in the internet. Everyone talks about right. the Bible gets translated so many times, and really, if we're talking about how many times the Bible is translated. It's really not that many times because we're your your modern English Bibles are going back to the Greek and the Hebrew. So we're going back to the original language that it was written in and translating it once. So the Bible has been copied many times. That's true. Well, let's but let's in terms cl- of translated, yeah. it's not going from Greek to Latin to French to German. Correct. Then to yeah. English. So yeah. That's it's, what we're clarifying in terms of translating. That process is not happening where we would lose you would like uh, there's always the the joke of if you go to Google Translate and have it translate a sentence from English to French to Spanish to German back to English, it's totally different right so that that's an understandable criticism, but that's not what's happening with biblical translation yeah if if I can translate what you just said <laughs> make what I'm saying clear oh, the, um, the number of translations. Is immaterial. So if it's right. if it's translated into a thousand languages, if it's translated into English a hundred different times, right? Um, that doesn't affect the the um, accuracy, or it doesn't affect right. the reliability of what we have. Correct. The cool thing is that because of archaeology, because they continue to find ancient documents, mm-hmm. um, 
we're able to translate from the oldest manuscripts um, and and to make sure that what we have is accurately the uh, is is actually the most accurate uh, that, that we have. And yeah. so some stuff that was uh, documents that were used for the King James Version in, 16, in the 1607, um, we have uh, earlier manuscripts that say, well, that probably wasn't as good. But what we have now um, is, is just incredibly reliable. Yeah, and that's, that's the comforting thing. I mean, it's just the cool thing of what God does with his word is, for me, I remember in college where I went through this, like, identity crisis where people were bringing up criticisms of scripture and the reliability and translations and manuscripts and all that, and I remember my brain just being like, I, I don't even know what to do with all of this information. Yeah. It's so overwhelming if these criticisms are true. And the more I dug into it, the more it was like, Oh, good. Yeah. God thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. It's so comforting to look through the the reliability, the trustworthiness of how the Bible's been taken care of through the years and translated and uh it's it's a huge comfort. Yeah. So if you are overwhelmed and you don't want to dig into it, at least you can take my word for it that man. Yeah. There's a lot there that is really comforting. Yeah, and and feel free if you've got more questions about it um to to send Mark a question, <laughs> an email, to send any one of us an email, and we can put you on some documents or some books that can help yep. that uh, process, yeah, and that there's study even, process. Um, um, right Now Media, we have access to Right, right. Now Media, has lots of great video resources, so utilize that. Reach out to us. We'd be happy to point you into to many good directions on yep. on showing the reliability of scripture. So good question. Great question. All right. Finances. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the money question. Let's dig into it. So one of the things that you had shared, which is this is so cool again, it's just cool to see God God providing and God taking care. Yeah. Uh, our mortgage, the yeah. church mortgage is almost paid down after 1.2 million. Well when I came when in, in 2014, yeah, it was um, 1.25. And now we're under 50 54,000, 54, yeah. which is yeah. just so cool. Like yeah. even that in and of itself is a huge yeah. a huge god thing. Um so one of the questions comes from that story. So we had talked about how once that is paid off, that frees up a ton of money for us to be able to do yeah. ministry. To do ministry, which yeah. is really really cool. So one of the questions came in related to that. How do you reconcile the borrowing of funds for a church building or any ministry any ministry need and the good outreach that comes from that? Uh, it seems that there are times that this is appropriate. So obviously, to build this building, to add on right. to this building, we borrowed right. a significant sum of money. And we read in Proverbs, and we learned that the principle, that borrowing enslaves. Yeah. So how do you weigh the pros and the cons and enter into that with, with biblical wisdom? How do, how do we walk through that? I think with a lot of prayer. <laughs> um, yes. The, there are churches... Um, I know a lot of people that, that will not build and will not do anything without paying cash for it. Yeah. And that's absolutely a le- legitimate path. Yep. Also know a lot of folks that as they work through the process and say, okay, we've got to do X, Y, Z. God has called us to do, do yeah. that. And the, and the means to accomplish that are going to be to borrow. And we recognize that that means that we're going to be enslaved for a period of time. Yep. But the, the what God has called us to, um, God's going to work through that process, and um, and so uh, let me just be clear in terms of saying borrowing's not uh, not wrong, mm-hmm. but Solomon says you have to understand the relationship that exists when you do borrow, yep. and that when you do borrow, 
um, you owe that money. And, and the person who um, lends that money, the institution, they can call it at any point in time. And, um, and there's, there's a risk that's involved in that. Yep. Yeah. And so this, I'm going out of, out of order in the questions that I sent yeah. you, but this feeds into another question. You're that we not can... allowed to go out of order. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the questions we got was, isn't there good debt? So this is a, a financial principle yeah. that's thrown on is there's bad debt, credit card debt, there's good debt, mortgage, student loans, things like that. That's the typical financial yeah. lingo that's thrown around. Um, so isn't there good debt? <laughs> well, I I think when you read through the book of Proverbs, um, Solomon comments to say this is the reality of debt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a lot of considerations that go into whether or not you go in debt for a particular thing. Yep. Um, Proverbs doesn't speak to that in terms of good debt, bad debt. Right. Um, all I can tell you is what my grandpa told me. <laughs> so wisdom <laughs> from my grandpa. Um, he, he said, never go in debt except for something that's going to appreciate in value. Hmm. Um, and even at that, you have to measure. Uh, Jesus said before you go into battle, you, gotta, you, you have to count the cost. You have to know, uh, do I have enough men to defeat this army? Uh, if I'm going to build a tower, do I have enough money to do it, or am I going to have to stop in the middle? When you go into debt, you have to be able to say, do I have the ability to pay this off, and is it going to appreciate um, is the money going to appreciate in terms of its value? Right. From personal standpoint, and let me just be clear, this is not biblical, this is personal. Yep. Um, I think that you can uh, make a case and make a good case for borrowing for a house or for, or for land that's going to appreciate in value, mm-hmm. that you believe that that's the case. I think that you can uh, make a case for some student loan debt. Again, counting the cost yep. um, in advance of what of what that might do for you, um, I, I think it's a good metric to say: Is this going to appreciate in value? Um, one of my one of my burdens in the world that I live in is when kids go to a Christian college, a Bible college, and they're called to ministry, mm. and they take on this student loan debt that's astronomical, right. and they're going to go be a missionary in the Congo or wherever it is, yep. and they're going to live off support. And, and the amount of debt load that they carry for that is going to put them in a place that they're just really, really hamstrung um, in, in terms of what they can do ministry-wise because they don't, that particular path of calling vocationally is not going to create income that's going to allow you to pay off hundreds of thousand dollars of student debt. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really tricky. And it's, again, it's, it's not that... I want to think through how I'm saying this. It's not that Solomon is putting a moral judgment on getting in debt. It's just the reality of when you are in debt, you are in debt. Right. <laughs> you, right. you have to pay your debts back, and yeah. that can be called at any moment. So whether it's a, a good debt, whether it be for a house, yep. or bad debt, whether it be for maxing out your credit card and going above and beyond, that's debt. Yeah, the, the payment the, that you have to make is yep. the same. Yeah, that's that, what Solomon is saying. Yeah, it's uh, it's what I said last week. Observational truth. Solomon right. says this is this is what I see and it's real. Right. So, right. Live with that. And and speaking, yeah. I mean, speaking as someone that has had many different types of debt in my life, the freedom that comes from being yeah. out of debt. I mean, we the the debt that we have right now, thanks to God, is our house. Yeah. So we were to pay off student loans because we. 
scrimped and yeah. saved and had mac and cheese and that the reality of not being enslaved to that is massive and that's what that's what solomon is talking about it's not saying that christians don't enter into this yeah it's just that this is a reality <laughs> yeah what comes along with that choice there is freedom when debt's paid off yeah yeah it's good yeah <laughs> it's good yeah all right great question um so w- one of the things that Inevitably, this comes up when you talk about finances. We didn't talk about tithing. Right. I mentioned it. Tan- we talked about it tangentially. Yep. Um, so let's talk about tithing. Okay. <laughs> More detailed. Um, this question comes from, um, from Ray Boyer. Asks, is the 10% tithe still applicable to us in light of the New Testament covenant? Uh, we see it in the Old Testament with Israel, but can we give what we can cheerfully as opposed to a strict number. And then someone else asked a similar question is, does tithing need to be 10%? And do you tithe off of your gross or net pay? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, so many things. I, I, I just want to, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's start first with the word tithe. Yeah. The word tithe means 10%. Mm-hmm. So, so in that sense, there, there isn't such a thing as a 5% tithe. That's right. a, that's a 5% a, 10%. <laughs> that's right. It's a <laughs> conflict. Um, so that, that's, that's uh, just a helpful clarification in terms of the words. Yep. Um, do you tithe off your net or your gross? Um, I, I think that that's the wrong question. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I can say that, I think when you understand that we don't live under the law, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, the Jews were bound by law to tithe m- at multiple levels. Right. That, that was something they had to do in order to have the right kind of relationship with God. Yep. Um, and we don't live under that law anymore. Right. So if you tithe on your net or your gross, it, it, one doesn't make you more spiritual than the other. I think the issue that's there when you talk about finances and when you talk about giving in particular is that it's a reflection on our heart. Um, right. So um, I'm not going to quibble with somebody who says, oh, you know what, I'm only going to tithe on my net and not my gross. Uh, the the Okay. What? What? Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, I mean, that. What's it matter? The issue I think that's there, uh, we, and when when I talked about generosity, I think that there's the the scripture in Proverbs that I think it's in Proverbs twenty two where it talks about bringing the first fruits mm-hmm. of to God, that you, we give back to God first. I think that that's a principle that's there right. in Proverbs that's just really clear. And the context of that would have been their their tithe, that they would have tithed first. Right. Um, all I can tell you is from the people that I know that do tithe, mm-hmm. um, they would not stop. Um, you couldn't get them to stop because God, the way that God has worked through that in yeah. them, which doesn't necessarily mean that they've been blessed financially and you know that they're getting oh a hundred you know ten right. times what they're given back to it just means that they understand when they do that that God provides what they need all the time and um, the number of people and and in my own life um, when when people have said no I'm going to give intentionally New Testament talks about um, uh, determining ahead of time how much you're going to give yep. and and given generously that God shows up in that in really, really cool ways. So, so I, w- I would just encourage you. I, 
I think that this is not a bondage issue, but I think that there's a clear case to say when the when people first began to follow Jesus, they were all Jewish. They would, tithing would have been a normal part of their life. That's right. what what's right. what that is what they would have done. I think when non-Jews began to follow Jesus, they probably would have said to the followers of Jesus that had come out of Judaism, "What do you what do you do in terms of, of giving?" Right. And um and they was I think the they would have the most natural thing in the world would have been to say, "Oh, to uh, obviously you you tithe and you then you give above that," right. and that would have been the model that's there. Is that is that a have to? Is that a law kind of thing? No, um, but I think that that's probably. Uh, a model, uh, there, there's a good case for that. I would just encourage you, um, I, I would encourage anybody who's working through the process to where they are, start. And and like anything, if you go to buy a car and you're going to do a car loan, you say, okay, I've got this much money. I'm going to buy a car. I can afford $300 a month. Uh, that's what that's what I'm going to spend to you know to get this car. Um, if you only have two hundred dollars a month, you're not going to do three hundred. Uh, right. um, I think when you start with your first fruits and you say, "Okay, I'm going to give this to God first above everything else," yep. what that does is it it um, impacts the rest of things that you spend money on. Yep. And you say, "Okay, I'm not okay if I'm going to give to God. That means I can't do X." But because God loves me so much and because of my love for him, I'm going to do that. And yeah. really, that thing doesn't matter all that much. Um, and so uh, that's, that's probably the short view on, yeah. on personal stuff. And, and I would just say from a personal standpoint, um, I, I said it at the end of the message, um, from the time that we first got married, Deb and I have tithed. Uh, um, that's, that has been our starting place. We give over and above that as well. Um, but we've done that consistently uh, now for, o- for over 40 years. Yeah. And God has always taken care of us in incredible ways, mm. um, even when they were the lean years. You know, even, even when, when we were doing the McDonald's and the, and the video yeah. rental, um, that was still a priority for us because... Yeah. Of uh, of our relationship with God, that that was something that we wanted to do, and it was a priority for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the uh, what you're what you're speaking to in terms of practical advice, I think is is so helpful f- for finances. I, my uh, my brother in law is an accountant nerd, so he loves talking about biblical finances, and he gives some of the best advice when it comes to budgeting and, and practical stuff. He always, he always says, "Scrap your current budget." And start over and make your tithe the first line yep. item of your budget. Yep, just that's the first that. fruits. Yeah, and that determines everything else because then you can start to wrestle with the question of like, oh, we like this subscription to this streaming service and this streaming service and this streaming service and this streaming service, but to do all four of those right. means we'd have to take out of what we want to give to God, which leads to the second principle of why do we give in the first place? Do yeah. we give? Because that's the Christian expectation of Jesus. Like you go to church and you give, yep. God asks you to give. Or do I give out of a response of what God has done? Because God right. has given so much to me just through Jesus, just that alone. Do I give out of a response to that? And that, I think, is the heart issue that God is driving at yeah. when it comes to generosity. Yeah, and I I think for me, when... when you know the, the the me that most people don't see. You know the the carnal me. Yeah. Um, it's important for me 
to make the decision to give and to be generous. Because hmm. if I didn't, I'd spend that money in ways that wouldn't honor God. Hmm. So it really is um, a decision that, because of the priorities that I want to live my life on, yep. it results in that particular action, and that action then filters down in other areas of my life. Yep. So um, I do it. I do it out of love. Yep. But I also do it because. If you I yourself, <laughs> yeah, you know what? If I don't set my alarm at five ten, I'm not getting up to play racquetball. Yeah. Um, if I set my alarm at five ten, I'm going to get up and play racquetball. <laughs> so, so we have yeah, to talk about setting your alarm for five ten. <laughs> <laughs> That's too early. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, keeping in the in the same uh, in the same vein as tithing and uh, being generous. Does North Point, this is another question. This is a good question. Does North Point's children's ministry have a way for kids to give? Um, I don't want to be sending them with random pennies <laughs> if there's not a place for it, but also want to teach them to give to God first. So when it comes to children's ministry. Absolutely. I went and talked to Hope this morning and said, we've talked about this before. I just want to make sure if, <laughs> before I say this on the podcast. And she said, yeah, absolutely. We have a, they actually have a, I think a Oscar the Grouch yes. <laughs> trash can that they use for their offering bucket. Um, and let me just say uh, this to you if you're, if you're a parent. Um, teach your kid from the time that they're little to, to give and to give intentionally to God. So uh, from the time that I was really, really young, I remember getting 50 cents a week allowance, and I would take a nickel every week mm. um, and take it to church and put it in the offering plate. Yeah. Um, so, that yeah, that's a great tool and there is an opportunity that's there yes so keep teaching your kids that and we're going to teach your kids that yeah and if you got teenagers uh same deal from the time that they get their first job teach them to be givers yep yeah that's a great principle all right speaking of teenagers oh transition <laughs> we've got a good yeah. flow today <laughs> yeah good um, what practical wisdom would you give to a teenager today about deciding what career path to follow in order to make a living how do you find the right path so speak to all teenagers <laughs> and provide this the right answer. Uh, <laughs> I, um, yikes! What what a great question. I th I think I think that the answer is that you have some trusted people in your life, and we'll talk more about this later in the series. Just in in terms of wisdom, yeah. Um, that you have some trusted people in your life to say, what is it that I want to do? Yep. What is it that I'm good at? And this this concept that I have, this kind of vague concept that I have, is it going to help people? Is it, yeah. is it going to help the kingdom? Is it going to help the world? Is it going to help people who are hurting? Um, and that let that begin to shape um, the direction that you go. Yeah. Um, I would, if you asked me this question in high school, what is it I want to do with my life? I probably would have said, I want to be a pro football player. <laughs> um, and even as a teenager, and I had enough people in my life that said, you know what? Uh, f there aren't very many offensive linemen who are five foot nine and weigh 160 pounds in the NFL. <laughs> it's just, it's probably not going to happen. Um, <laughs> the, um, and, and so having some people who can say, you know what? You may want to be an actuary, but you're failing beginning math. Yep. That's probably not going to happen. Um, and so uh, th there also is a, is a component to say, um, what is it that 
that I just love doing and I love investment investing myself in and and seeing where God goes with that. Um, there's a great tool that um, I talk about this with my kids who are now adults, but some of them are still trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life uh, called strength strengths finders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a thing that you can complete that doesn't tell you specifically what kind of job to do, but it says these are the kinds of things that you're drawn to. Yeah. And then you look at jobs thinking, can I maximize those strengths in this particular job? And, th- and that may be in a whole field of different kinds of jobs. Um, I-, I think that's a, it's a great tool yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. For what it's worth, I worked in higher education for a long time. Um, and a, a lot of that time was spent recruiting high school students to come yeah. to college. Um, and the question that we always asked them <clears throat> was, what are you passionate about and what are you good at? Right. Because um, like you said, you might be passionate about football. I might be passionate about uh being a dancer on Broadway. I do not have the body for a dancer on Broadway. <laughs> so I might be very passionate about that, but I'm yeah. probably not going to be very good at it. Right. There's going to be a lot of things that I'm good at that I'm just not passionate about. I might be really right. good at numbers, yep. but I don't care about numbers. Right. Um, and so finding where those things align tends to be a good rule of thumb, at least as yep. a starting point. That was the advice that we gave to a lot of students. Um, and that helps hopefully provide direction because we had, again, this is speaking from my experience, we had a lot of parents coming in telling us that their child was going to be a nurse. And we would look at their science grades and tell them, your child is not going to be a nurse (laughs) when they're failing biology and chemistry because that's that's a lot of nursing. Yeah. (laughs) And so understanding that there's going to be a lot of vocations that will bring a lot of money and success. And nursing and healthcare is a big part of that. Um, But that's what we tried tried to start with a question of, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? And then where where can you make a living within that and having that be a more guiding principle as opposed to there's a lot of money in this area, so just go do that thing because that's yeah. where the success is. There's There there are, I think, uh, you know, as a parent d- dealing with a teenager, there are two different paths that you can go. Um, one is to build a really strong foundation that can take you in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and sometimes that, you know, in the old days, that used to be a humanities degree. With a humanities degree, you could do anything. Um, but to, to study a wide variety of things, recognizing that it's going to be some time before you really figure out what it is that you're going to do. Yep. The other is for a kid, and, and this is true of some uh, you know, from the time that they're 10 or 12 years old, they have a clear sense, this is what I want to do. Yep. Um, this is what God equipped me to do. This is what I'm yep. good at. And, and and if so, that makes it really easy. Um, again, if I if I can just talk out of my, um, out of my personal experience, one of my sons um, made a decision. He wasn't going to college because he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. Yeah. And, and he didn't want to take the student loan debt without clarity that it was going to make sense. Um, and and he has continued to to just try and work through a number of jobs to say, you know what, I'm pretty good at this, and I like doing this. I don't like doing this. Yeah. Um, and I'm I think at some point in time he'll end up with he may end up with multiple degrees. Yeah. Um, but not right now because he doesn't have clarity yep. for for where that uh, what he needs in order to go the path that that uh, God calls him to. Yeah, that's wise. Yeah, I think. I think so, too. (laughs) Uh, Good stuff. Um, All right. Uh, Switching gears a little bit. Yeah. Still talking about finances. Uh, This question comes in 
Man, this is interesting. Uh, if your husband is the primary breadwinner in the household, is it okay for him to buy cars or a boat and take on debt without the the uh, the wife's consent? This is not really a financial question. <laughs> yes, this, uh, there's finances involved. There, yeah, um, and yeah, actually, actually. Um, I would say this. I, I've said this before in messages uh, uh, at other times. Most people say the number one reason for divorce is um, financial conflict. Yeah. Um, what I found in my experience as as, uh, as a pastor is that rarely are financial issues really financial issues. Mm -hmm. They are simply the symptoms of other issues, Sym symptoms of communication, symptoms of trust issues, symptoms of whatever. Yeah. And in this case, I would just encourage, you know, whoever wrote the question to have a conversation together and to, and to own um, the plan. Yep. Um, the, uh, because it's really easy for one person or the other um, in a marriage to choose their own path, say, I'm going to keep my own money, I'm going to do my own thing, um, and that will always cause division rather than unity. Right. Um, that I know people think different things, but when I do premarital, one of the things that I strongly counsel couples is to have one pot of money. It doesn't matter who's making more, who's making less. Um, there is one pot of money, and you make decisions about that together. Yep. For me and Deb, again, if I if I talk um, for most of our life, uh, Deb did uh, in-home daycare when I was doing ministry, um, and and all of that money always. It, it was our money. Uh, yeah. You know, that's uh, we're, we are a team. Right. And we make decisions on on how to spend our money right. as a team. Right. Yeah, I think the, the, the question behind that question is, uh, you know, ultimately, how do you make decisions when it comes right. to, to purchasing? And I think that comes through communication, right. setting proper expectations. You know, for, for Julie and I, speaking out of my own experience, like, there's times where I have to like compel Julie to spend money <laughs> and say like I don't have that trouble. <laughs> please, please go buy something. <laughs> like go buy a Starbucks drink or something. Because Julie will save until she's like Julie won't buy anything. Julie would rather die uh -huh. than spend money. That's just the way she's built. She's a saver. Yeah. I'm the total opposite. Um, so we balance each other out very well. That's great. And so we've just had to have communication on okay, like maybe if you buy something that is over X dollar amount, maybe yeah. that's a discussion that we have. But yeah, yeah. if you're buying whatever a T-shirt. You know, okay, that's okay. But then we've set that expectation. Right. And I don't I don't know the type of boat that's being bought. If it's you know, if it's a model boat for your shelf, maybe you don't need to have the expectation right. that you talk about it. But if it's the boat that I'm thinking of, that would certainly be a conversation <laughs> that would need yeah. to be have yep. between the two. So yeah. it's the, you got married to partner together. <laughs> right. So do that in everything, including yep. financial decisions. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Um we talked about this a little bit, too, in the message yesterday. Um, gambling. So the question comes in, is gambling a sin? And if so, where do they talk about it in the Bible? I bet I didn't expect that question. <laughs> yeah. Five dollars, I'll bet you that. Um, uh, let, me, let me be clear. Um, gambling is in the Bible. Yes. Yep. And it's not listed as a sin. <gasps> um. <laughs> If you go to Acts 1, the end of Acts 1, after Judas had killed himself, the disciples cast lots. They yeah. gambled for who was going to replace 
Judas, Matthias got the short straw or the long straw, whatever it was, and he won. The the soldiers at the foot of the cross gambled for Jesus' clothing. Um, So it's there in Scripture, and it's not condemned to sin. Um, uh, As a matter of fact, there are some Scriptures... you know, I didn't look this up. I think um, I think there's a proverb that we may be reading if we haven't read it already, that says um, uh, essentially, "Man casts a lot, but God determines yeah. the God determines the result." Yep. Um, so it's not a sin. the The bigger question really is: Is it wise? Um, right. And the the I, I actually. Feel, I guess I could say this on the podcast, right? <laughs> I, I feel more um, passionate than I communicate on Sunday morning about this particular issue yeah. because the people who gamble and lose are typically the people who can least afford to lose mm-hmm. and least afford to gamble. Yeah, um, the the people, uh, rich people, don't gamble. They they just don't um, because, or they don't gamble through the lottery or casino that kind right. of thing. Um, because they know it's not a winner, it's it's not a winning combination. It's not something that you can win consistently, um, and so um, is it a sin? No, it's not. I do. I, you know, I said in the message. Ultimately, we will stand before God, and God's not going to um, ask us about how much money we had. But I do think that God will talk to us that will that will be accountable for what we did as stewards of what yep. God has given us, um, and. And this is a, a lot bigger principle than just gambling. Right. But I think when we waste money on things that have no value or uh, make no impact, right. um, God's going to say, why did you do that? I gave you those resources. Why would you just throw it away? Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's kind of my, my perspective yeah. on, the, on the whole gambling thing. Yeah, I think it's I, the, the question of can gambling be a sin? Yes. Like oh. like many things, <laughs> watching sure. movies can be a sin if that becomes an idol if it becomes if it takes right. over your life. But in concept, in principle, gambling in and of itself isn't condemned to sin. We I, I don't I mean clearly we don't see that. Um, I think the the proverbs that probably speak closest to it to what we're talking about the wisdom of in our finances would be the the get rich quick right mentality, Wh- which, which is yeah the go- the goal of gambling is to take ten dollars and in an hour turn it into a hundred, take a right. thousand and in an hour, turn it into 10,000. Um, and the, again, the, just the observational truth that Solomon is saying is that tends to not work out well. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, uh, when I, I, I knew that the question would come cause it's a legitimate question. Yep. Um, and it, and, and everybody's response in both services yesterday was interesting when I said, you know what, don't count on the lotto as your <laughs> retirement account. Yeah. Everybody laughed. But it, it really, for the last 24 hours, I've thought, why did everybody laugh, and why do we gamble? Yeah. We, some of us gamble for the, for the rush, the emotional rush that happens in that, for the risk that we're taking. Um, but the bottom line is, um, I think that we think, oh, wouldn't it be cool? Yeah. With this dollar, wouldn't it be cool if this was 17 million or yep. 300 million or <laughs> 600 million? Wouldn't that be cool? Yep. Um, and maybe it would, but maybe it'd ruin your life. Yeah. Um, and the reality is that if I can do something cool with that dollar, 
Yeah. That it just seems like a lot. Yeah. That's better th- thing. That's that's the principle that I think. There's a <clears throat> a guy that I follow, not a Christian, um, and he gambles every now and then. He goes to casinos every now and then. <clears throat> and the financial principle that he always recommends is I never go into the con- into the casino with more money than I'm willing to lose. Yeah. So I always go in knowing that I'm probably gonna lose this money, but it's fun. Which that's fine, whatever. But when you really think about that principle, it's like, well, that money could be used yeah. for so many so things if that, that are guaranteed to do good. Yeah, if that was $20 or if that was $200 or $2,000, it, right. it doesn't matter. But right. it, but I think, oh, man, think, yes, you're, there's there's a whole lot of time involved in that and expectation and right. all, all, the, right. all the glitz and all that stuff, which is maybe great. But if I could take $200... Right. And 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 it impacts somebody's life in a dramatic way. Yeah. How much better is that than than walking out? You know, six hours later, or twelve hours later, or eighteen hours later, and say, okay, yeah, I lost two hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, uh, who knows? Yeah. That's uh, the whole thing. Yep. All right. Um, where are we at? Um, oh man, this is a great question. <laughs> Do you think someone should pass on an equal inheritance to kids who are not being responsible? The example they provided is uh, using drugs, living against God's design. How do you decide inheritance for different kids that are at different stages, different walks in their faith, doing different things? With a lot of prayer. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know what the right answer to that is. Yeah. I, if I look at Proverbs and um, the observational truth that's there, Solomon says, you know what? It's a really cool thing when you can bless your grandkids, when you can bless your kids with an inheritance. A, g- a godly person does that because they've saved, they've prepared, and, and they're able to make an impact that way. Yep. Um, the, uh, when, when there is bad choices and strife, I think as a parent or a grandparent, at that point, you're thinking, what can I do that can help that child, that grandchild, the best? Hmm. And, and probably the thing that I'd recommend more than anything is that no matter what path you have, you have the conversation before you die. Um, so to right. sit down and right. say, you know what, Un- understand this, we gave you X amount of money and you squandered it. Right. And um, and so um, we're we've taken that out of our estate because you've you've already done that, or because of the choices that you're making were I I think it would be detrimental to you. I think I think it could end up making you lose your life if you have the access to that much money, and and you're a, an addict. Mm. Um, have the conversation ahead of time. It, that's not going to be comfortable, mm. but the goal is that with your kid or your child or your um, grandchild, the goal is for them to know God mm. and to and to live a life that's going to honor Him, and to do everything that you can um, to help them get there. Now that that's that's hard stuff. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. That's just hard stuff. It's a lot. It, frankly, it's a lot easier to write your will. Make that decision, die, and then you don't you don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but it leaves um, a tremendous amount of hurt and carnage yeah. in the wake. Now yeah. let me let me talk on the other side of that and say, um, as 
someone who has been blessed by grandparents and parents mm. leaving a godly inheritance and a financial inheritance, mm. um, it is an incredible blessing. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's just a really, really cool thing that yeah. that puts you in a place that that you just didn't think that you'd ever be in before. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I mean it. It goes back to and it touches on a little bit what we were talking about with the the husband and wife. Can you buy yeah. a boat without? I mean, a lot of that is not the problem. Is not the finances. Right. The problem is the relationship. Right. The the expectations that are being set, the communication lines that are being broken, because um, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that remain true that can be spoken that won't feel true. That right. that the amount of money that is left or the amount of resources that are left is not an indicator of the amount of love toward right. that person, even though that won't feel like that to them. Yep. Um, but having <clears throat> that conversation and being upfront and honestly using that conversation as a way of saying like. Our main concern here is not the money. Our main concern here is your faith, your walk yeah. with God, your life. Like that is the main concern. Um, but man, that is not easy. Yeah. It, one one last thing on that whole inheritance thing. Yeah. And and this is story. Uh, I, I've made reference before in messages several years ago about my aunt. Mm. Um, aunt didn't have my aunt Linda didn't have any kids. Mm. Um, and she said to us probably thirty years ago. When I die, everything I have is going to go to my nieces and nephews, my 13 nieces and nephews. Mm. And, and she retired early. She was wise. She had an inheritance. She, she has resources. And, and she said, I would rather spend my money with you mm. than give it to you when I die. <laughs> so, so here's the deal. She said, I will take you on a trip anywhere you want in the country, mm. you and your spouse, Anywhere you want to go, and I'll pay for everything. Wow. Um, so she did that with her 13 nieces and nephews. Um, fortunately, Deb and I, we couldn't take our kids. Deb and I couldn't do that because we just kept having babies. Um, and so by the time it came time for us to do our trip with Aunt Lynn, we didn't have to stay in the U.S. because she'd seen everything she wanted to see. Nice. We, we got to go to Brazil. Um, it, was, it was great. It worked out well. Um, the other thing that she did, once she had begun to do that with the family, she took all of the women— um, uh, in our family, like my sisters, my wife, my cousins that were female, my uh, my mom, she took everybody on a trip uh, to Mexico where they spent a week together. Um, she did the exact same thing with all the men, and and she came with with all my cousins, my brother in laws, my dad, um, funded everything. It, it was incredibly cool. And then she did it with her great nieces and nephews, multiple trips. Wow. Um, the inheritance that she has blessed our family with. Yeah. Um, boy, it is hard. Goes far beyond yeah. any money. Yeah. Because my kids have deep relationships with their cousins that they would not have known, their second and third cousins. Yeah. Um, that it's because of Aunt Lynn. Yeah. Um, and mm. all of us have a relationship with her that's just incredible. So um it, Inheritance isn't limited to dollar signs. Dollar amount. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Last question. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a good question. This is worth wrestling with. Is it a softball? Is it an easy one? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I bring people to church yeah. and we talk about finances, um, what is the expectation? How are they supposed to truly understand the gospel? 
with when we're talking about finances. If this is the person's only opportunity, it's the only time they come to church, how are they going to know Jesus if we're just talking about balancing a checkbook? That's a great question. And yeah. and frankly, it that's something that as a speaker, you know, as as the guy who's mapping out the the messages yeah. each week, I that's something that I I struggle with. Yep. Um th- uh inherent in that question is kind of a fundamental idea that um boy i don't want to take too much time with this but it's easy for us to um have as our model for our sunday morning experience the billy sunday revival evangelistic meetings that existed in the 1800s and 1900s, mm-hmm. where somebody spoke, there was great music, there's an invitation given, people responded to the invitation. Yep. Um, uh, it's a legitimate question to say, uh, hey, why is it that we don't always offer an invitation? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why is it that we don't regularly offer an invitation for people to come to, to know Jesus? Here's here's my th- thinking on the deal. I, um I, w- I want to do that. I want to challenge people to go deeper with Jesus and to take next steps. Yep. But our Sunday morning experience, I think, is about understanding who God is, um, what He can do in our lives, what He wants to do, how to have a relationship with Him. And that includes everything from uh, first step to last step, you know, to uh, right. continuing to grow um, in, in maturity in Christ. And so um, I, w- I was thinking particularly this week with this and last week on friendship, I kind of I referenced that. Um, how, how's that fit? I think that there's, uh, don't ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to connect dots that you may not see. Mm-hmm. So like, as I was thinking about this message on finances, I thought, if you know what, if somebody comes and they don't have a relationship with Jesus and they're just trying to figure this out, I think... I think that there's a possibility that they could walk away and say, that was dumb. That was just about money. I can get that on, you know, I can find right. that on the internet, I, uh, 1,001 self-help books, whatever. But I think that the Holy Spirit could t- connect some dots and say, wait a second. Hmm. This Bible talks about finances in ways that apply to my life, yeah. that, that, that speaks to debt and speaks to generosity and speaks to worth. Ah, yeah. wh- where's that going? And so um, at the end of the message yesterday, I talked just a little bit about Jesus because Jesus is the answer. You know, it, Jesus is the answer for right. it all. But I, but don't un- underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, again, it speaks to us to not separate s- that hour on Sunday morning from the rest of our life. Right. Um, if that's your friend, daggone it, be having a conversation with them all the time about what Jesus is doing in your life, because that's going to that's gonna connect some dots and, right. um, and challenge them to be thinking about what Jesus is doing in their life, even though they may be far from Him. Right. So I think even through a, a message on uh, financial health, God can show Himself in very clear ways, and right. man, pray like crazy for Him. Yeah. Well, I think, I think too, coming to coming to terms with our own expectations of, our expectations is the wrong word, coming to understand that God cares about your finances. Yeah. That he wrote, like, if we're just looking at Proverbs, we're isolating it from Scripture, which is not a good idea. Yeah. But if we're just looking at Proverbs, these are things that God cared about enough right. to plant the wisdom in Solomon 
to write it down and have it right. preserved through time, that God right. cares about the commitment in marriage, that God cares about the friends that we choose. God cares right. about how we handle our finances. And it's not just, God cares about those things and he cares about our relationship with him. And that's why he cares about these right. things and these all bleed together. And so to look at scripture, scripture is about God and it's for us. Yeah, And so we can see God in I mean, if we're looking at who's the best handler of finances, it's God. That's right. why that's why we tithe. That's why we're generous. Right. We give our money to God because God's better at handling it than I am. Yep. So I'd rather give $10 to God than keep it in my pocket and right. place it on something else. Um, and so seeing like, and again, connect having the Holy Spirit connect dots that we can't connect. I mean, I, I, I share the story often that I was, I was convicted one time I was, I was preparing um, a message for someone and I was really wrestling through, like, you know, what's the what's the point I want to hit? What's the verse I want to I want to touch on that really like seals the deal? And this is that that moment in the in the middle of the talk. Um, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, like, do you think you're a better teacher than I am? Like, yeah. <laughs> and in my heart, I was like, I do think that. <laughs> That's not good that I think that. Yeah. But really having that trust that I will say what God wants me to say and trust that the Holy Spirit is a better teacher than right. I am, that a word not said by me is better said by the Holy Spirit, Right. Um, and trusting that God's God's better at taking care of that than I am. It's not right. to say that, obviously, we're not saying we're not going to talk about Jesus because right. the Holy Spirit will, because if you come to North Point and we don't talk about Jesus, that's a bad thing. that would be a problem. That's <laughs> that, a bad that would thing. be a really, really yeah. big problem. Um, but I don't think that's what we're seeing. I think, yeah, it's, does God care about your finances? Yes. yes. So we're going to talk about that. Yep. So that's all I got. Good. <laughs> Some questions. Like I said, lots of questions. So um, anything else on your end that you want to touch on or hit on? No, <laughs> not today. <laughs> not today. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for your time, yep. Rick. Um, thank you all for submitting questions. Yeah, uh, be, sure to, be sure to keep the conversation going. Like, share, comment, do all the good social media stuff. Um, it's just a blast. We love doing this. We love getting questions and continuing yep. the conversation with you guys. So keep it up, and we will see you next week. Bye.